Uh, if you have your Bibles, or maybe I should say, turn your Bibles to <laughs> uh, John chapter 9 and verse 4. John chapter 9, verse 4. And this is a, um, a passage of Scripture that um, for some way or another, I'm not sure why, but it's not a very commonly preached passage. Uh, but I really sensed <clears throat> last week and the week before, uh, God really speaking to my heart about this passage. And so uh, I've been waiting on the Lord and praying, and I feel that God gave me a word for all of us today. Uh, John chapter 9 verse four, 4 says this, We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in this world, I am the light of the world. Father, I just ask you that you would anoint uh, my lips to declare your word. And I pray that you would anoint our ears to receive what you have for us today. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, doing things in the dark can be a painful experience at times. And many of you have experienced getting up in the middle of the night and you like you gotta go to the bathroom and you're like groping around wondering where, where am I? And I actually I, I do this. I literally put my hands in front of me just in case I hit a door. Because I have hit the frame of a door a couple of times. But isn't there and is there anything worse than when you're walking and you think that you're like clear away and all of a sudden you're like stub your toe and it's like it's in the middle of the night the kids are sleeping and you're like and you're like screaming inside you want to scream but you don't because you probably wake the whole house and so you know you try to stay calm <laughs> tough thing to do uh, you know at some point or another I think all of us have done that and the truth is that doing anything in the dark can be a painful experience at times. In fact, there are experts that tell us that uh, in, in, when you're constantly living in dark spaces, your sleep can actually be impacted. You can get out of whack. Uh, you can lose your balance, right? We, we, you know, the sense of balance, uh, we can feel a little disoriented. Uh, our brains actually don't remember things very well when we spend a lot of time in the dark. And, uh, and so I think that uh, there's, a, there's a point there that living in the dark or being in dark is obviously endangering, uh, sometimes even physically to us. Now, we're living in unprecedented times, and um, Emily came and shared uh, just a while ago about the difficulty of, of this dark sense that, you know, you have conversation with people, and the conversations always lead towards feeling a little bit down and depressed by the time you're done because the topic of conversations seems to center around all the bad things that are taking place in our world today. Now, you know, <clears throat> I think that it's safe to say that we are living in dark days, unprecedented days. In fact, uh, I started thinking the term dark ages um, comes from uh, when the Roman Empire fell in the 5th century, uh, during the early Middle Ages, <clears throat> the, um, uh, there was in the culture of the time 
the Dark Ages were marked by both economic, intellectual, and a cultural decline. And when I started thinking about that, I thought, wow, isn't that like it is today? We're experiencing economic, intellectual, and I could say a lot about that, but I won't, and a cultural decline in our society. And uh, it seems like we're like, we're, we're losing our minds some days. You talk to people, and then some people just have no ability to even be able to discern uh, just what their future holds. I'm talking about not, you know, this, not forget the political aspect of things. I'm talking about intellectually. We're not able to even see the future for many of us. You know, as the ecclesia, as the called out ones, as the church, God is mandating his church to carry out his work on the earth. But the question for us is, and one that we need to answer, will we say yes to that call? Will we say yes to that call? Now, last week, Percy Burns was here. It was a great blessing. And he talked about live the life, speak the words. Our lives are a declaration of the gospel, but we also need to engage people around us to be able to speak the word that brings life to others. Now, <clears throat> the disciples in, this, in the context of this scripture, and I just want to paint a little bit of what was going on here. This man, born blind, uh, basically, you know, helpless throughout all of his life, <clears throat> and living in darkness, and so the disciples go up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, can you tell us who's the problem here? Is there a sin in his life that causes blindness? Is that maybe with the parents? What's going on? Now, you know, I, um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but sometimes you got to stop and ask yourself questions. Because how many times have you seen a blind person and you've asked yourself, I wonder if he sinned? I want, no, right? Now, the disciples showed absolutely no compassion for that man. He became the object of a theological discussion about sin. And I don't think that that's what God was intending as an object lesson that day. In fact, not only that, I think that the, the answer that Jesus gave them must have probably shocked them <clears throat> when he said what he said. Now, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that there's something sometimes in all of us that innately wants to know the why of situations. Like, why is it that we're going through this struggle? Why is it that we're going through this situation? Why is that person suffering? Why are good things, uh, bad things happening to good people? Why, why can't God answer my, why this, why, 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 why? In fact, in the passage, in this very story, four times, four different times, under different occasions, this man, the question that was asked was, how is it that you are healed? How is it that you can see? No one was asking the right question. They were asking the how questions. And, and, but, you know, the question sometimes is not about how, or why, the question is that we need to answer is who, right? It's the who question that is the most important because Jesus said this, and he actually said it prophetically before he actually even performed the miracle. You think about it, 
before he did the actual miracle, Jesus said, this is so that my Father will be glorified. This is so that the glory of God will be seen, manifested in evidence. And so that is the actual point. We're looking for the how. We're looking for the why. God is saying, stop. It's about the who. It's about me. It's for the glory of God. It's the glory of God. You know, we struggle with the questions at times of why and how. And we ask ourselves this question probably because we don't actually have trust in God. Perhaps we're struggling with our trust in the Lord. Faith and trust in God display that we understand that He knows better even if the outcome is not exactly what we expected. I know that's a hard message because we really, truly want God to do exactly what we want Him to do, right? I mean, God, we're praying, we're believing, we get the answer, everything is okay, fine, close the deal, done. But however, at times, we go through circumstances in this life that are less than an advantage to us, right? We go through struggles, circumstances, situations that we cannot answer, that we have no answers for, and we need to accept. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us that God works all things. Look at the person next to you and tell them all things. All things. All things, not just some things. He works them all for what? Come on, help me out. For good of those who love him, right? So he works them out for our good. How can that be? All things? All things? Like my struggles, my sickness, my depression, my frustration, my anger? All things, he can work all things for our good. All of them. You see, despite the rapid cultural and societal decline that we might be living, the church of Jesus has a clear mandate that each and every one of us must fulfill. And that is that we need to display the glory of God. And I want to tell you something right now, church. This is not the time to give up. This is what the Holy Spirit shared with me. When I read the scripture in John chapter 9 and verse 4 and 5, the Holy Spirit seized my heart and said, David, this is not the time to give up. This is not the time to give up. How many of you have heard the expressions that we got to double down on our commitment? This is the time to double down on our commitment. This is a time that the church rises and the world seems small because we serve a great God. A greater God than our circumstances. A greater God than everything that we might be going through. You know, it's sad that there's so many people that are giving up. Believers are giving up on God. They're giving up on the church. There, many are giving up on their dreams and their future. They see no way out. It's sad. It's sad. Now you say, David, but you don't understand. Look at the conditions of our world. Yes, I see them. I see them. It's all in what we choose to believe 
that God is still God, that his title is still the Lord. He has not changed. He has not, even in the midst of the hardest of circumstances, God does not change. And I serve that God today. And that is that God that is telling each and every one of us today, we must not give up. This is not the time to give up. You see, we respond to circumstances based on our natural perception of things. In light of what we're living, we give up because it's a natural response. We look, we see devastation, fall, sickness, depression, people upset, people wanting their way, government doing certain things that we might not like, some other people might like. It doesn't really matter. All of that can bring utter confusion and despair and cause us to give up. But this is not the time to give up. The words giving up, quit, surrender, lose courage, lose heart should not even be in our vocabulary. Come on, church. These words should not describe Bible-believing Christians. I'm not talking about the fact that we don't see what's going, around, going, going, around, uh, going on around us. Get it right, David. <clears throat> it's not that we don't look around us and we say, ah, it's nothing. It's just going to blow over. That's not the point. The point is that we serve a God who can do all things. And when we feel like quitting at times, when we can't choose to live uh, in, in this uh, bubble, right, and we're tired of living in this bubble of defeat, right, we need to look to God and Him alone for the answers. I believe that we are called to eat at the king's table. And like Mephibosheth, we can choose to stay. I don't know if you know the story of Mephibosheth, the character in, in the Old Testament. He was the son of Jonathan, friend of David, who had become the king. And he chose to live in this town called Lodabar, which basically means forgotten. He chose to live there when he had the privilege of actually sitting at the king's table and eating the best of what the king had. Because he didn't believe that he was worthy. He had a limp. And so he didn't feel that he could actually measure up to a kingly status. But thank God that David brought him in. And like Mephibosheth, we are called to eat at the king's table and have no lacks. We are overcomers. The Holy Spirit just kept drilling into my heart. This is a message of encouragement. This is not a message that's, come on, people, get it right. Kind of a situation. This is like we need to open our eyes to who we are. We are more than conquerors. Roman 8 37 says, In Christ Jesus who gives us strength. And so let me highlight real quick three things about this passage. Number one, you are a light carrier. You are a light carrier. Now we tend to be our worst critics. When we experience a bad day, we feel that the next day is going to be bad. And then the next day is going to be bad. And all of a sudden, we get into this mindset that we don't deserve Jesus anymore. Because I'm just doing bad. I'm just living bad. Things are bad, bad, bad. We need to change our language. 
We need to change and understand that the enemy's plan is to take us out by discouraging us, by placing guilt and shame upon our lives so that we struggle in believing that, wow, am I truly a disciple of Jesus? Have you heard of the imposter syndrome? Have you heard of that, that expression? I think the enemy wants us all to believe that we're imposters because we don't truly, honestly believe that God is the God that he speaks and he says in his word that he is. But we're not imposters. That's a lie. You know who we are? We are child, sons, and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who I am. And it's about time that we open up our eyes and we begin to see ourselves in the light of who God sees us to be. Now, you are a light carrier. In John, in, in this passage, in verse 5, it says that while I am here in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who lives inside of you? If Jesus is a light, who are you? You see that? It's a simple equation. Live the life. Speak the words. Let Jesus shine through you so that others will be able to see that Jesus is alive. That is the message. We can't earn it. Your failures and imperfections will not change a darn thing about you. God accepts you just as you are, as a son and as a daughter. And so I challenge you today, live like Jesus and let the light shine. The second thing that I see in this passage is that Jesus recognized the urgency of the time. Jesus understood both the urgency of sharing the gospel with everyone that he came in contact with, but he also understood and he saw that the disciples needed a little bit of work still. What do you think? I mean, what have they learned all the time that they were with Jesus to look at a blind person with no absolutely zero compassion and say, who sinned in his life? Is that him? He's a terrible sinner. The law. There you go. The disciples needed to attend prime. But Jesus realized that the time was short and that he still had a lot of work to do. You know, Christ came into this world and in a very short period of time, he had an incredible mission to fulfill. His mission was to reconcile the world to himself a lost, dying, blinded, and, and a world doomed for utter eternal damnation and destruction. And all of that was going to culminate and end in Jesus giving his life. Now, I've spent a lot of time in corporate world. I spent 25 years in corporate. And I don't know that if someone gave me a project and said, you have... Three days and a half 
<laughs> to, to take care of all these tasks. You know, you get the project, Microsoft project. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe a few of you. You know, you get Microsoft project with, you know, task and subtask and subtask of the task and sub and sub and sub. You know, it's like, wow, this is going to take me forever to get done. How am I going to get this done in three and a half days? Think of Jesus. His task was to display the glory of the Father to a nation that had rejected him. That is one of the hardest things that I can even think of. And yet, he fulfilled that mission. And we are called to fulfill that mission as well. Jesus knew that every minute was precious and every opportunity was critical. He said, I must quickly carry out. I must quickly do it. In the original actual Greek, the language, the original language of the Bible, the New Testament, it actually means an obligation. It's a compulsion, or in other words, it's an imperative. In other words, you could say that this verse should read, I must quickly carry out this mandate because I have no option. I have no option but to do it. Because the time is short. His mission was to do the will of the Father and the power of the Spirit with a specific assignment to carry out. And you and I have the same mission. And just like we cannot tell our boss when things seem a little bit hard to do, uh, sorry, boss, I can't do this project because you know what? You don't get a choice. You get paid to get that done. Just the same way, we cannot shirk from our responsibilities as believers, as biblical believers that would actually tell us, you know what, I don't have to do this. And yet, don't we do it instinctively without actually saying the words, I'm not doing it? We do it. We have opportunities to share the gospel and we don't. We have opportunities to encourage somebody, but we don't. We have opportunities to pray for people, but we don't. Look, I am probably the number one guilty of all of us here. You know how many times I'm in, uh, in, in a restaurant, I feel the Holy Spirit say, pray for that person. And then those times that I do, what a joy. What a blessing. Sometimes you just, you know, you're just sitting in a restaurant and, and somebody else just walks by and you just feel like, you want me to say something to that person? Oh, you want me to tell them that they're loved? That's hard. It's not easy. But what have we got to lose? We have got everything to gain and nothing to lose. <clears throat> you know what? If you stop somebody that you see at a restaurant, and you tell him, I'm sorry, my name is David. Uh, can I just tell you, Jesus just told me to tell you. I believe that I hear his voice. He just told me to tell you that he loves you. They can look at you and say, thank you. I really needed that. Or they can tell you, oh, okay, thanks, and walk on. What have you lost in the process? You know what happened? is that you became, for that person, perhaps the only Jesus that that person will ever see. Because they see a natural person stopping by and telling them, you know what? Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves you. Sometimes I don't even give an opportunity for people. Can I ask you to, can, is it okay to pray? Uh, we were at a restaurant last week with, with a friend, and, uh, and the waitress was saying that she was struggling with uh, a very bad case of diabetes. So I just put my hand on her shoulder and I said, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for this diabetes, that Jesus would just begin to heal you and that your blood would be cleansed and purified. And, and her spirit was lit up. She said, oh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Natural Christianity is what the world is looking for. No one's looking for someone to stand on a pulpit. You know, a lot of people will never walk into this church unless they see natural Christianity in us. And then we can invite a friend and not just a guest. I'm going to leave that there for you to think about. That is what Jesus came to do. Natural Christianity. This is the time that we have. And the time is short. The time is short. We're living in urgent times, church. Family members that don't know about Jesus. Co-workers, people that we rub shoulders with, neighbors. People that we come in contact with. They all need to hear the message of hope. May we not use excuses, but embrace the calling of Jesus. Let me leave you with this final thing. Jesus said, we cannot labor in darkness. That was a, the initial point. He said, the night is coming when no one, no one can work. Think of a moment, for a moment, for that, that miracle that took place in John 9. Jesus sealed the blind man. A man that was living in constant darkness. And I can't think of an illustration that's clearer than this. That just as the man was incapacitated by his blindness, we will be unable to do the work of the Lord in the night when total darkness is upon us. You can't work at night. And for those who have done graveyard shifts, Anybody that has worked at night? Let me see. Okay, yeah, there's a few of you guys. You know what I'm talking about. It really messes up with your system. Like going to sleep in the day and working at night is just not a fun thing to do. But sometimes you have to. But in the context of this chapter and these verses, working for the Lord in total darkness that's not what we're called to do. This is not to scare anyone into saying, well, Mao, you know, I, 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 I got to do something. I, I just, I, 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 you got any tracks? Can I, you know, we have little cards in the back that say, you know, Mission Community Church in the back has got the hours and you can invite. Can I go and let, let me just, you know, give things out to people. Let me just pray for everyone. That I, this is not it, guys. This is not it. God's not looking for a bunch of scared evangelists. God's looking for natural believers that love Jesus, you and me. That is what we can do for his glory. You know, if your idea if, of living and making the most of every opportunity simply entails enjoying life to the best, to the best of your abilities, 
you might have to rethink what that enjoyment looks like. If your idea is getting out on the boat and, you know, going up to the mountain and going to the beach and living, living it up, I don't think that those things are wrong. Don't get me wrong, you guys. But I also don't believe that the days in which we are living actually can afford us the privilege of putting God second and all of our pleasures first. That is what I'm coming from. I'm not telling you you shouldn't go and, and get on a, on, a, on a boat in the lake. Somebody invited me to go on a lake, you know, on their boat. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. You know, let me know when. Woo, you know. But that's not the point. The point is that we have a mission to fulfill. What are we doing for the kingdom? What are we investing in the kingdom today? I'm not just challenging you. I'm challenging me. I'm challenging all of us today. I'm talking about our relationship with God. I'm talking about our connection with the body. I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about giving my time, sharing my talents, you know, the abilities that we have. You know, these guys that came up today that, that offered to help out with the, the, the hospitality and the, the welcome team, right? They, they don't do it because they have nothing to do. It's because they're passionate about something. And so they want to see God move in that aspect, you know? And so all of us, all these musicians, they're not paid. They're giving of their time. They're here Friday night practicing, singing. They were here yesterday morning. We had an awesome 25 people, you know, worship team breakfast. You know, that wasn't that great. That was amazing. It was amazing. That wasn't great. That was incredible. Because you know what? It's a miracle that happens every single week when we come together and all these pieces come together. The church of Jesus is not a bunch of paid staff people. It's not. The church of Jesus is you and me giving of our time and everything that we have in order to give God the glory and make the kingdom of God a priority. The people in Israel walked in the desert for 40 years. And we know the story in the Bible. And we understand the outcome. But have you thought for a moment what the people thought? They were walking around the desert for 40 years? I was reading this story this week. And I thought, okay, if I were one of them, I would have thought, okay, well, we're not in Egypt anymore. We're not building bricks made out of straw and mud. That's a good thing. Uh, We're not eating onions and garlic, although they did wish to be eating onions and garlic at one point. But whoever did got swallowed up in the desert. So that's probably not a good idea. Let's abandon that one. They probably thought, hey, you know what? We got, God gave Moses the tablets of the law. That's a great thing. Look at all the miracles that we're seeing. Manna from heaven, the, 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 the pillar of fire by night to keep us warm. The cloud by day to give us shade. That's just incredible stuff. Miracles, right? That's a good thing. I think it is a good thing. That's a pretty good thing. But God told me last week that there is something in behind all of this. There's an illusion of movement. Think about it for a moment. 
There was an illusion of movement. For 40 years, they thought, oh, they were okay. Yeah. You know, let's just go around this desert. Everything is great. You know, we're singing. Just on and around and around and around. For 40 years around the same place. Ah, you know, well, David, I mean, we're a church, aren't we? We're singing. We're giving God glory. I mean, amazing worship today. <clears throat> God is here. That's good, right? You know what Jesus' response to this is? Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What was Jesus really saying here? Is it wrong to say, Lord, Lord? Think about it for a moment. Don't just read verses, right? Is it wrong to say, Lord, Lord? No. It's not wrong. In fact, anything that's repeated twice in any verse in the Bible is a, is a, is a term of endearment. Like you really love that person. So you're just saying, Lord. Lord, that's a good thing. But what was Jesus saying here? Jesus was really saying that words are no substitute for doing the will of God in obedience. He is looking for obedience. That's why he's saying not what you say, but the one who does what? The will of my Father. Who does, not just says the will of my Father, but who does the will of my Father. It's what we do that counts. There's nothing wrong with saying Lord. So let me say this. Works will not save us. Works are not even close enough to doing anything for us. Think about Jesus. If, G if Judas, sorry. Judas so, was so close to Jesus. If that's the case, he was so close to him. He should have known everything about Jesus. But did that save Judas? It didn't. It's not proximity. It's actually obedience. God is not looking for gifts. He's looking for character. The foundation of this verse is obedience. Because we are called to labor and do what we are called to do now. That we still have light of day. So <clears throat> let me conclude by saying, look at the incredible parallels in the story. Jesus healed the physically blind. We are called to heal the spiritually blind. Jesus gave clarity to a man who was blind from birth. We are called to shine the light of Jesus to men and women, friends, those around us who are confused and lost so that they can have clarity in their lives. Jesus restored hope for living to a man who was in darkness, had been in darkness all his life, and he was unable to do what most people took for granted. <clears throat> and we are called to give hope. You know, I love that a friend of mine says, I'm a hope dealer. We should all be hope dealers <clears throat> and share with others what we have received. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, it says this, and this hope will not lead us to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loved us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Jesus gave the blind man the ability and assurance that he was not forgotten. 
and we can give the same opportunity to people that they are not forgotten, that they can receive the assurance that God is with them and will direct their path. Guys, <clears throat> a take-it-easy mindset is no longer going to work. But a commitment mindset is what Jesus is looking for. Let us work today, right now, while we still have light. Because one of these days, and the darkness is dawning upon us. And we will not have that opportunity.